Um, but it is truly wonderful to be back here in Honeyridge. Um, and I, I can never say enough thanks to you as a congregation for your support. I was just sitting reflecting again that it is, yeah, it's 45 years since I first encountered this church. Um, 35 years since I first went out into mission. Um, and you as a congregation have been with me that whole time. It's just a, an amazing um, testimony to God's faithfulness. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. This sermon did not turn out the way I had initially intended. Um, when I, I, I was pretty clear quickly once I knew I was going to be preaching a few times here in South Africa while we're here. Um, the point of our visit was to come and visit our son. Someone very generously offered to help us fly home so that we could see him. Um, but we also realized we would only be able to see him um, on weekends and only for once a weekend. So we wanted to make the most of the visit. So contacted churches and we'll be preaching, I'll be preaching in a few churches plus catching up with as many people as we can. But it was a passage that when I thought about what am I going to preach that ties in with, with kind of mission and this was a passage I went to very quickly and initially it was just going to be a, a sort of exegetical um, work through the passage. It's got so much in it and I, I hope I'm able to convey some of that. But as I walked through it, it, it the, the passage is Paul in many ways reflecting on his ministry and as I reflected I, I thought there's a lot of parallels here and so I, I want to kind of tap into Paul's reflection, give a little bit of reflection of what God has done and is doing in our lives but I, I hope it's also a, a reminder and a call to your ministry. Um, one of the things I've reflected on often in my journey as a so-called missionary is how sometimes we're put on pedestals as somehow we're the ones who do ministry and other Christians just go through life. I hope that's not your experience. I hope you count your life a ministry of Christ and I hope I can challenge and encourage as we work through the passage this morning. Um, I do want to say, because I realize that this could kind of feel a little risky, I, I'm not comparing myself to Paul. Okay, let's be clear about that. If I draw its parallels, not comparison. But let's go to the passage. Am I on my slides? All right. Okay, this then is how you... No, that's not... Is it? No, that's 1 Corinthians. That's not my slide up there. I'm confused most of the time, but that's definitely not my slide up there. Because I'm in 2 Corinthians and it says, therefore. <laughs> okay, let's read the passage while the techno guys get their, their stuff together. Um, now, I, there, there we go. That looks like what I put up there. Thank you. Well done and getting through that load shedding. People say, what do you miss about South Africa? Guess what we don't miss? Um, we have a ship that has generators. We don't have load shedding. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul starts off by just confirming again this God-given ministry that he has. Therefore, he says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And those of you who've been in this church a long time will remember well one of Lee Robinson's very oft-repeated things, if there's a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. And the passage that was read earlier gives us the description of this mercy, of, of where Paul's ministry comes out of. And just that last verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's mercy. Anything we have in Christ or do for Christ is through His grace and mercy. Paul knew and experienced this. We certainly have know this and experience it. And, and my prayer is that, that you know and experience this as, as you journey life and have journeyed life. We're encouraged. We, we have not lost heart. In fact, the opposite at the moment, Kriki and I are excited and motivated. I, 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 we have had other times in our 35 years in ministry, but this is a particularly precious one where we just are motivated, excited. It's it, it's not difficult to get out of bed in the morning. There's so many opportunities. God is, is our strength. He, he's just, it's, it's just an amazing period at the moment. Paul, Paul then goes on to, to describe the aspects of his ministry. Um, and in verse 2 he says, We've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And, and Paul's just saying, you can see what we do. We're not trying to trick people into the gospel. We're not trying to come up with fancy ways. We just put the gospel on the table as clearly and as plainly as we can. We live on a big white ship. It's a floating billboard. It stands out for miles. And then the way we do ministry is to advertise that we are there. And as I reflected on Paul's commitment to this openness to the gospel without any form of trickery, any form of, of kind of deception, it reflected a lot on, on, on how we do ministry at the moment with this great big ship with 350 people on it. 
Everybody who comes up our gangways knows who we are. Many of them get a very clear presentation of the gospel, but it's more than that. We're under a microscope. We're being watched. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about our visit to North Africa, which kind of was an interesting one in the context of, of that, but we live this very public life now. And some of you may ask, well, what, what do you do in that? Well, and it's not an, a simple answer for us particularly. Um, those who know me will know that this is no surprise. I spend a lot of my time teaching and training, whether it's teaching these 300-odd young people who've come to the ship for a year or two years, um, putting into their lives, building some of its formal classroom situations. Often it's just sitting around a dining room table and um, answering questions. I, in many ways, I've come full circle. In 1988, nearly 35 years ago, this church sent me off to the Doulos, one of our previous ships. I, I was a young man who was in love with Jesus, but absolutely clueless as to what the future of my life would look like. My dreams of going into nature conservation and living in the Kruger Park had kind of taken a bit of a, a knock when I failed my first year at university. Um, and I, I really didn't know what my life was going to look like. And I went off and joined OM and went to the ship and spent two years in Southeast Asia. And what the, what the ship put into me and helped me discover really did lay the foundation for what I've done now for 35 years. And so it's such an incredible privilege now to be on the other side of it, be the old guy who can kind of sit down with young people who are clueless, don't know what they're going to do with their lives, and kind of help them explore what Jesus is saying to them. I also get to do events for people on shore. I speak in conferences um, with pastors, church leaders, uh, missions conferences, leadership conferences. So that's a big part of what I do. And then helping train people who are going to going to tr be trainers themselves. Kriki gets involved in, I, I can't even begin to tell you everything that she's involved in. Those of you who know her will understand. But if there was one thing that captures it, it's kind of events. She gets involved in some of our um, evangelistic events. She's, she's kind of started a whole backstage group that looks after costumes and things, helps people get dressed up when they're doing shows. We have a theater that we do various shows on, and now as post-COVID, we're starting to open things up and do more and more things, and she's in the background kind of helping with that sort of thing. Um, Anna does another things that she does. She's the sewing mom on board, um, and that kind of surprises people when they come up and go, Auntie Hricky, can you help me? Can you take up the hem in my trousers, please? And she goes, I'll show you how to do it, which kind of... 18-year-old boys kind of get the eyes this big. And, but then she sits helping them, and it's a whole conversation. And, and that leads really to, if I can capture our role on board, this is the, the picture of the community, and we do this once a year, take a picture of everybody on board, um, about 350 at the moment. Um, and we are kind of village elders. The, the ship is like a village. It's 350 people living in a metal box together, we eat, play, sleep, work together, and we're kind of village elders. We, we're just there. And uh, when we were coming for four weeks, coming back to South Africa, some people got half the message. They got the message that we were going to be going, leaving. 
And we had this stream of people going, you can't leave. Who am I going to talk to? Whose shoulder am I going to cry on? Who's going to give me advice? And we were able to say, no, don't worry. We'll be back. We're coming. We're just taking a break. Um, And so that really is what we do in this very public ministry that sails into places. I was just counting in the car. We've been to seven different countries in the 11 months we've been on board, 10 different ports. Um, We started out in West Africa, and then we went to to Europe. We've been to North Africa. We're currently, the ship is in Albania. We go to Montenegro next, and then we'll be going to Cyprus, Lebanon, um, Egypt, and then we'll be going through the Suez Canal and heading into the Arabian Peninsula with this very public ministry where we, as far as we can, want to do it in a way that is above board and represents the gospel well. But Paul had an opposed ministry. There was opposition. Now, there was the human opposition, but there was also the spiritual opposition. Paul says, even though this gospel is out there publicly, he's making it as clear as he possibly can, he's experienced the fact that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And then verse 4, which is really the verse that I've lived with and live with often, and I've seen it. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul had this very public, open ministry. He got to preach the gospel. You know, he was able to explain it. He was able to come at it from various different angles. If he was speaking to Jews, he would bring it in through the Old Testament. If he was speaking to Greeks, he'd be out there on the hills of Athens and linking it to their idols. Paul knew how to explain the gospel. And yet his experience was this blindness We've had the privilege of going to places where the gospel is not widely spoken and being part of speaking it clearly and experiencing that blindness. And some of you, many of you, know that as well because you have family members who know the gospel. You know you've explained it as clearly as you possibly can, but there's a blindness. I, I cannot take and tell all the stories, but, but three countries that stood out as I was preparing. We were in Sierra Leone. It was the first country that we were in for ministry. We flew to the Caribbean, but we're only there a few days, and then the ship sailed across the Atlantic, and we arrived in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone is 77% Muslim. The the levels of poverty are hard to describe. It's a nation that has been through civil wars. It's a nation that, just from a weather point of view, gets hammered. There were floods again just a few months ago. But what surprised me, because I'd never been to Sierra Leone, I'd been to West Africa, culturally was quite familiar. But what surprised me was how, how much freedom we had in a nation that is a majority Muslim nation, to share the gospel. I've never seen a freedom in in the, the countries I've been to where Islam is a majority, as much freedom, such a friendly people, so willing to engage. But even though there's that freedom, even though the gospel has been preached often in Sierra Leone, 
kept meeting people who couldn't see what was clearly before them, couldn't see the truth, couldn't see the glory of what Christ had done for them. We spent four months in West Africa and then we moved to Europe and to Spain. And we were in the Canary Islands in Las Palmas and then we went to Sevilla in inland, very unusual for the ship, 60 kilometers up the river. And so normally we're on coastal towns, um, but Sevilla, Spain, and then a little one, if you know your geography, and I have to confess that I didn't, there's a little enclave on the coast of Morocco called Ceuta. There's another Spanish enclave there as well. And it's this little town on the coast of Morocco, but it's owned by Spain. And so we spent nearly three months in Spain, officially in Spain. That verse where Paul talks about they, they know God, but they don't know his power, is what I reflected on there. It's, it's a post-Christian world. Yes, in the past, they would have been declared a Christian nation. But that's not the case anymore. Oh, there's wonderful cathedrals and statues of Jesus and, and, and this memory of Jesus. But it is hard to find people in Spain who are following Jesus. It is just the secular society where God is a, an outdated concept. But again, there's religious freedom. There's nothing to stop you going and preaching the gospel. And yet people who've heard the gospel, know the gospel, are blinded. And then I, I have to be cautious how I talk about this. We got to spend eight days in Benghazi, Libya. I don't want to say it was the most memorable time of my 35 years in ministry, but it, if it's not, it comes pretty close. I have a personal journey with Libya. Lee Robinson took me to a missions conference in 1985. That's where this whole thing started and got me into missions. And during that conference, I was handed a prayer card for Libya. And it just stuck. And in those days when we had paper Bibles, and I kind of went in my Bible, and for 35 years, I've had an interest in Libya. I've prayed for Libya more than probably any other country other than South Africa, um, other than countries that I've worked in. And there's always just been this desire to see Libya. And when we got to the ship, and after a few months we'd been there, Libya appeared on the schedule. I was just beyond excited. Can't go into all the details. It got messy. Um, where we were supposed to go, they decided they didn't want us there. So the other half of the country decided they'd take us to show up the, the half that hadn't allowed us to come in. And we sailed into Libya, a country that is 97% Muslim, and 2.5% of that, the remaining 3%, are foreigners who are Christians in the country. It is a country that three or four years ago was in a, a completely out of control civil war. Now it's just the simmering um, division. The country is divided in two um, and there is still regular violence. So there is, it's a very difficult country for the people who live in it and from an access point of view for the gospel, incredibly difficult. 
We had the privilege of seeing 36,000 Libyans come through our book fair. I estimate about a third of them spoke enough English that we were able to interact with them. The friendliest, most welcoming people you can imagine. Now we were under all sorts of restrictions. They would never have allowed us into the country if we had been openly Christian and talking about Jesus. We just wouldn't have even get, got in. But they knew who we were. But how are they going to hear? How is God going to work through the blindness? And there's a global crisis. I thought long and hard about what I was going to call it, but no, it's a global crisis. There are 8 billion people on the planet. The UN has declared that November there will be 8 billion people on the planet. Estimates are that 3 billion of those people have never even heard the gospel. When I joined missions 35 years ago, that number was a billion and a half. The number of people who haven't heard the gospel has doubled in my lifetime. Now, the church has grown. It's not that the church is shrinking. The church is growing around the world, but we are not keeping pace. It is estimated that 70,000 people are added to that number of people who don't hear the, aren't hearing the gospel every single day. The number is growing. It is getting bigger every day. That's the world that Paul says is blinded. That's the world we live in today. And if we do not do something, that number will continue to grow. The missions community has realized that we've got to change the way we do things. We've got to up our game. Somehow we have to get more people out there preaching the gospel. But as you come back to the passage, you realize that this is not our problem. It's God's mission. Paul writes, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So Paul calls back on the truth that the God who is in this business is the one who created the planet, created the universe. He was the one that made light in the first place made his light shine out of our hearts to give us, shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. And Paul parallels verse 4 where he says, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. But then he goes, we are not without hope because God is able to shine light. God is able to take the scales away. But we've got to turn up. We've got to turn up to be the ones through whom God shines his light. Do I know why he decided to do that? No. If I was a consultant to God, I'd say, really seriously, these human beings are not good enough. Find a better way to turn up. 
send angels. I don't know, there must be a better way. But God chose to send us. Human beings who are jars of clay, cracked pots, out of whom shines a light that comes straight from Him. He is the light of the world. Any ministry that is to be successful, whether it's here in Randburg, South Africa, or whether it's as we as a ship minister in Albania that just 30-something years ago was a completely atheistic country with no known believers, now has a growing church. We need to be sure that we understand where the source of the power and the, the, the reason we do what we do is that he is the light of the world. Jesus says that back in John chapter 8, but then in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Because it's shining out of you. And one of the things that I've seen and observed is that that light comes as we as believers, followers of Jesus, do this in community. Back in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, you know these verses well. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And as we went into North Africa with huge restrictions, having to lock away all the Christian books on our book fair so there was just educational and children's stuff of a more generic nature, where we were not allowed to mention the name of Jesus. But 36,000 Libyans walked up our gangway and met a community of people from 60 different countries who simply love Jesus and love one another. Imperfectly, absolutely. Trust me, that's not the angel factory on board. But that's what God is doing in the world. But He has chosen us to be salt and light. Wish I could tell you all the stories that are in my heart, and I cannot. They're available on the internet, our Port Reports videos. If you want to know where to get them, come and see us. If you're not on our newsletters and you want to hear more from what we do, please see us after the service. But God is at work. But there's three billion people who still need to hear. What we're doing is not enough. I said at the beginning that we're doing really well, and we are. And so when I got to verses 8 and 9, where Paul writes, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, I almost went, ah, let me finish the sermon at the end of verse 7. Because then I don't have to go here. But I do need to say it. Because Paul felt he needed to, need to say it as well. Life can be tough. Life can be hard. Paul experienced that. You know. You've read the Gospels. You've read the, Act, but the book of Acts. You've read the, the New Testament. Paul goes through some horrible stuff. And again, this is where I want to be very careful that, I don't, that it doesn't sound like I'm comparing us to, 
to Paul in that. But when I look back over the last four years, there's something of what Paul is saying here that we can reflect on. Now, I, I was working in leadership in the, in the region for OEM. There were some serious leadership challenges that I was in the middle of. Then we had a young Ghanaian, I've probably shared that, a young Ghanaian who'd come out to help us with finances here, caught some disease or other, and I was standing at his bed as they turned the machines off. Then we had our son's um, diagnosis as bipolar and his suicide attempt, and I, I ended up, if I wasn't burnt out, it was as close as near. And Colson was arrested. We went through that, and then shortly afterwards it was COVID, and you've all been through that, so I don't need to say anything more there. And when we arrived on the ship, the ship was only just kind of recovering from COVID itself, it was trying to put things back together again after having basically 18 months without being able to do what the ship normally did. We'd been on board just over a month when we sailed into Takaradi, Ghana, and there were some positive cases discovered on board, and so the ship was put into lockdown. We spent three weeks basically only coming out of our cabins to go and get food and to take an hour on the, in the sunshine for some, um, some exercise. Then there's been having to leave Colson behind and all the ongoing legal drama, and then finally the announcement that he would be going to prison. We've certainly experienced the being hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but all the knots of not being crushed, not being in despair, not being abandoned, not being destroyed. And I stand before you as I think Paul does as he writes this passage, just with a, a sense of overwhelming gratitude as we reflect on the mercy that Paul talks about in verse 1, that God has showered upon us, He's the reason we do what we do. He is our strength. It's to him that all praise is to be given. And I believe that's at the heart of what Paul is saying to us this morning. I've talked about Paul and I've talked about us and I want to close by just pausing for you to be able to reflect on your life. Paul's journey, our journey is not a testimony to us but to the same Jesus that you follow. And so as we, as we close, just three questions. Are you aware of the need of the world? Are you aware of what Jesus is wanting to do in the world? Are you involved in some way? Are you involved in being light getting light out to those who haven't heard? And are you pressing on when the battle gets real? I, I, I've been around long enough. There is no ways I'm standing in front of a group of people where there aren't some significant challenges in people's lives this morning. Are you pressing on, hanging on to Jesus? Because he is the one that can take you through. He is the light of the world the light of the world is what the world needs and the light of the world is in you and therefore you are what the world needs. And so as the musicians come up,
to take us through the, the last hymn. Why don't you just take a moment just to reflect on your life and what Jesus is saying to you this morning. before you as those who have seen the light, who've had the gracious, merciful privilege of having our eyes opened so that the gospel is no longer veiled. And Lord, we will never be able to fully express that gratitude. But Lord, you call us then jars of clay that we are to be part of what you're doing in shining that light out so that those who are blinded by the God of this age can see, can experience what you've done for them. We cry out, Lord, for three billion people who've never heard and billions of others who, who have heard but still need to be shown the light by those who know the light. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who carries us through. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who walks alongside us and allows us and enables us to be what you want us to be. So, Lord, as we sing this last song, we ask, Lord, that it would indeed be true of our lives that, Lord, you would be our vision for your sake and your glory. Amen.